Um, human health is the biggest one for me. How they're all interlinked from the soil to the plant to the animal to the human and they're all identical really. Like there's a few little differences in the middle but pretty much the same. So if we if I treat my farm bad, like do I wanna eat the product that comes off that? Probably not. Like I don't wanna have crap food. Like I would prefer to have a nourishing, healthy food and be able to be proud of that product and be able to pass that on to the, the consumer. The Biological Farming Roundtable podcast helps farmers explore innovative, low-input, regenerative and profitable farming systems. The Biological Farming Roundtable is sponsored by Nutrisoil, an award-winning biological liquid fertiliser made from a big worm farm. Nutrisoil's purpose is to empower farmers to produce life-enriching food. My name is Nicola Maddock. I work at Nutrisoil. I envisage a future where farmers are rewarded for producing nutrient-rich foods and consumers have this easily available to them. Hello everyone, Nicola Maddock here from Nutrisoil. Today I'm here with Callum Lawson from North Central Victoria uh, in Avenal and we're on a grazing property. Uh, thank you for being on the podcast today, Callum. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah. Uh, definitely an uh, inspiration um, to be uh, part of this. I've always listened to it and um, enjoyed your podcast. So, yeah, thanks very much for having me. Oh, that's awesome. Now people can learn from you. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about you manage a couple of different farms, all grazing properties. Yes. Let's let's learn about them. Um, so where we are currently, we're at Avenal in uh, north central Victoria. Um, we've got three thousand acres here. Run a Angus self-replacing herd um, of uh, about five hundred and fifty breeders. Um, we join in. Uh, September, October, six-week joining, um, trying to get that calving period as tight as we can and match our um, calving period where with our peak and highest nutritional value of feed. Um, I've been here for approximately two years. Um, I took over from uh, the previous manager and it was very conventionally run. Um, yeah, I think there was 10 mobs. Um, we're back to two. Uh, trying to move cattle as often and as frequently as possible, um, allowing for the rest time and working it out. So um, we're matching our stocking rate to carrying capacity. Um, also, I share farm with my dad up in Highlands in um, the Strathbaggy Ranges. We just have a small 100 head um, breeding herd up there. Everything we breed up there then goes down to uh, another property down at Tallarook, um, which is paddock to plate um, under Habby's How Beef. We um, send approximately eight to 10 animals a week between 450 kilos and 530 kilos um, a week to butchers throughout Melbourne and Broadford. Um, we have been putting multi-species in there and trialling um, 
more of the one or two mob grazing on 500 acres down there um, with pretty good weight gains and um, rest periods down there is definitely starting to pay off. Um, <laughs> is that the three? So you, you've got the property here that you manage yep. and then you share farm with your dad. Yep, and then the, the those ones then go to Tallarook to, right. to the other share farm. Okay. So yeah, that's the Havis How Beef. So yeah. Yeah. So you have a paddock to plate from those two farms. Yeah, yeah. They, they contribute to it. So we've got start to finish product there. We're not just finishing. Okay. Yeah. And how do you manage the paddock to plate? Um, I'm pretty lucky, very fortunate really, to have um, had a, a mentor, Scotty McKay, who's um, who does most of that side of things. He goes and talks to the butchers and is very um, good with that side of things. We sort of focus on the on the animals and the, growing the grass for the animals and then he goes and deals with the, the butchers and, and the things they want and don't want. Um, yeah, there's, there's always a high demand for it, but they're not willing to pay the premium price. So they want the good quality product, but they, they only want to pay the boxed meat price. So it's a bit of a juggling act at times, just trying to negotiate with them um, of what we can give them and, and what they want. So you do need to have some pretty good negotiation skills yeah, most to definitely. do the paddock to plate. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. And is it more profitable for you to to manage selling your meat this way? Or Yeah, so in the last two years, it probably hasn't been as profitable. But um, this year now, we're probably 15 to 20% in front of where we would be in the markets just because of course the market's yeah, dropped so much so your market hasn't dropped yeah well it has but it's dropped and we've stayed a bit in front of it so we can ask for a little bit more now because the butchers aren't, are used to paying a little bit more so yeah we haven't dropped it as much um but still they still they still haggle with the price of course yeah. but um yeah it's it's definitely a challenge that one yeah, okay. Um, so the three different farms on this farm, it's just beautiful. Like when Thank I you. drove in, it was just absolutely stunning. Yeah, lots of hills and creeks and um, biodiversity around. Yeah, so we've got three little seasonal creeks. One's semi-permanent and the other two are seasonal. Um, very undulating. We've got some steeper granite country, some steeper ironstone country, to some nice rolling sort of flats and um, well, not exactly flat, but yeah, what I call yeah. flat. I grew up in the hills, so not like well, the hay plain. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I'm not used to that sort of flat. Yeah. Um, they're flat for me. Um, yeah, it's pretty uh, annual or um, sort of low successional plant dominated farm here at the moment. Um, anything that has got good uh, perennial species is a real standout. This time of year you can see green paddocks for miles amongst all the silver grass that's dead. Um, that's always the first thing to go off, um, which we've got plenty of it and we've got a fair um, issue there, but I mean, we'll uh, slowly chip away at that paddock by paddock. What's your rainfall here? Um, we're about 630 mils here. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and you took over two years ago, so it would have been some pretty good years. Like yeah, we had some yeah. good rainfall years. Yeah. So How was the condition when you took it over? So when I took over, 
um, there wasn't any feed here at all. Um, it was well overstocked. It was 2021. It was a really good year. Everywhere else around us was plentiful of feed and um, the numbers here were far too great for what it could carry. Um, so they ended up selling you know, nearly half the herd and um, changing the calving season all at once. So it was a big, big hurdle and took a bit of um, working out and um, maths and <laughs> trying to work out what was actually going to work and had a bit of help with some consultants and RCS and um, they, yeah, we worked out what, what was actually going to suit us here rather than what everyone thinks the area should be. Like everyone says you should be autumn carving and other people say you should be spring carving. But so we actually worked it out of when we have our maximum growth and where it's at its peak nutrient wise and tailored our carving to suit that. Um, so our first year this year of that, our calves are, you know, probably average 200 kilos and then, you know, six months old. Um, I'm pretty happy with that. They look amazing. Um, so I feel like I have done something well there. So it's always nice. Um, yeah. That's a big change to come in, to come in and just say, right, we're just going to change the whole system. Like yeah. how did they feel about that when you did that? Um, well, originally I was like, we need to get rid of one carving because there was split carving and they were just keeping all the, um, the empties and then just joining them again as a spring or joining them again as an autumn. So um, I just said, we'll keep all the autumns and then sell all the springs, just try and simplify it and get some fertility back in the paddocks and um, stop overgrazing um, before we, you know, we can start building the numbers again when we've got the rotation right. So the cattle numbers when you're keeping you know 90 percent of your heifers they breed very quickly and they build very quickly and um you're definitely uh all of a sudden you've got nearly too many again like without even realizing it so the to answer your question they were very uh, great people to work for they are great people to work for and um willing to put their trust in me um i i'd done a little bit of this not a huge amount but a little bit um, with dad and um, made a big difference just you know changing from four or five mobs to one and then same principle just on a bigger scale and that changed here massively last year we went from yeah like well in November 21 we had over 10 mobs and then by sort of February 2022 we had two mobs um, and then we cut it to one mob and the bull mob so all of last year, we pretty well um, had one mob of like 840 animals going around the farm. Um, so easy to figure out how much feed you've got in front of you. Every paddock's resting but the one that they're in. Um, it's, it's so much more simple. Like you don't have to think about three different mobs and taking them and getting the rest recovery times right. Um, this year we had to mix it up a bit because obviously joining again and heifers so you've got to put different pools with heifers so we've gone went to three mobs for a little while and we're back to two now so hopefully I can keep it at two and then um, every now and then split to three but the more we uh, do that hopefully the more panics I'll have to, to actually put them around so it won't be any big issue. The market would definitely have been in your favour 21-22 yeah. They would have been pretty happy with your decision to sell. Yeah, I think the first two months we sold well over a million dollars worth of cattle. Um, 
So it was a pretty good start. <laughs> Made me look pretty good. But I, but I said, I'm like, this isn't going to happen every year, unfortunately. It would be nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, once you've sold them, you can't get them back again. Um, this year is a bit, a bit of a different story. We'll go to see what Wiener Sales do in January. But um, yeah, <laughs> it definitely the last two years has been very forgiving in the in the market. Yeah. But they would have seen and you, you have seen the change in pasture growth. Oh, massively. Yeah. yeah. When I got here, it was literally like this table. It was just... I just, can't imagine that. Yeah. Like, it's, it's because not, it was high rainfall. They yeah. just must have had so much yeah, stuff there on. Was, it was, I think there was 1,400 animals or yeah. something when I got here. So, um, yeah, definitely way too many. And just that first year of just letting it recover with a few less than it probably should have or could have had and being able to do that and not have to worry about the profit in the first year because we'd already made so much. Um, that was a big relief. Um, just letting it actually grow when it needed to rather than um, just having to keep grazing it because you've got the mouths there that you need to feed. Um, that, that made a massive difference, I think. Um, and out there now, it looks pretty dry, but we've got a hell of a lot of feed. Like, you know, we should have enough to get us through easily till March, April for the numbers that we've got. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's a nice feeling. Yeah, and yeah. good ground cover, so you're not going to have, you know, all those hot winds. You're not going to have erosion. Exactly. Uh, you're going to be, you know, still food for your microbes. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Less evaporation. Yeah. I mean, rainfall. It's it's all going to just all keep helps. building, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I know you've got three farms, but getting to know you, I know that there's like a there's a whole reason why you farm this way. Um, not only because it's profitable, but also for many other reasons. So, um, what what drives you to farm more regeneratively? Um, human health is the biggest one for me. How they're all interlinked from the soil to the plant to the animal to the human, and they're all identical, really. Like there's a few little differences in the middle, but pretty much the same. So, if we if I treat my farm bad, like do I want to eat the product that comes off that? Probably not. Like, I don't want to have crap food. Like, I would prefer to have a nourishing, healthy food and, and be able to be proud of that product and be able to pass that on to the, the consumer. Um, that's really what drives me is be producing a healthy product. And you've always been a farm kid, always wanted to be always, a farmer? Always wanted to be a farmer, yeah. Um, I was always discouraged to be a farmer because there was no money in farming. And when I was growing up, and um, anyway, I went away and did a diesel mechanic apprenticeship and never lost the passion. Most weekends I'd try and get back home when I could. And then, um, yeah, I was brought back and I was like, I've had enough of this and went back mechanicing at home and then the more time I spent at home, the more I sort of worked on other people's farms and just transitioned into back into farming, really. Um, yeah, it was sort of 50-50. And then as soon as this job came up, I'm like, well, this is a perfect opportunity to go whole hog. And yeah, haven't looked back. Definitely yeah. passionate and excited. And that mechanical knowledge would help you so much. Super. Yeah, yeah. I'll be lost without it. Yeah. 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 Yeah, definitely. I've got to watch out people don't poach you. I don't oversell you too much here. I, I, don't, I don't like promoting that I'm a mechanic for okay. that reason because I don't like fixing things anymore. Yeah, okay. Because you always get the people that someone's already had a go at and made a mess of it. And yeah, it's always the hard ones. Yeah, but you've got to have that skill in farming, you know. Yeah, it, absolutely. It's just, just yeah, an awesome skill. It's always another challenge. Yeah, yeah. Yep. 
Uh, okay, so we've talked a little bit about the challenges here, but what are the main challenges on this farm that you're working with? Um, I feel that organic matter is probably our biggest one. We have yeah, probably around 1.2% organic matter in most of the paddocks. Is that organic matter or carbon? Oh, sorry. No, that's carbon. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 1.2%. But yeah, still sorry. translates to yeah. low organic yeah. matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely, yeah. Um, and then um, on top of that, we've got no sulfur showing up in the um, soil tests um, or totals. There's a little bit, but not a lot. Um, calcium, I think calcium function everywhere, state, nationwide is probably an issue. Um, seeing soil pits all over the place. Um, yeah, the calcium function is an absolute killer. You might have a good pH, but doesn't mean your calcium is actually functioning but why do you think that is it's a slow immobile mineral um our biology is missing that's the missing link in most things probably yeah. um but with without the correct conditions you're not going to get the right biology to actually get it there so you yeah you need to get some calcium out it might not be hundreds of tons of lime it just might be a bit of foliar little and often calcium just to tickle the system to uh, get it to work um, but seeing that everywhere is mind-blowing just it's, it's a common problem yeah. yeah do you see where someone's got really good biological activity and good organic matter that's less of a problem yeah definitely and then your pugging and all of that sort of all follows through like you, it recovers so much quicker when you've got good organic matter and then you've got good biological activity and you've got good mineral function and um, water cycle it all it all comes hand in hand and every paddock you sort of go in every year if, if you've improved it like it feels softer under your feet your water infiltration is getting better um, your biology is obviously getting better like you just you can feel it like yeah. it you can you can really you can tell um yeah okay so your challenges we've got those what are your goals um my big goals here are to um, really focus on fencing uh, and building that carbon cycle so or carbon in the soil and getting it cycling again uh, erosion so the uh, the erosion we've done natural sequence farming so we're trying to hold the water in the landscape as much as we can um, contours we've got approximately four kilometers of contours at the moment um, Hopefully that'll soon be seven. We've got four leaky weirs. We'll another one going in another couple of weeks. Um, trying to get ground cover to keep the water and you know armor the soil and put the help the water actual infiltrate into the soil with roots and the plants is probably a big thing. Um, yeah, carbon with roots and and biology and and um, biofurts and multi-species crops. Um, fencing, uh, we've got uh, we've got about 70 paddocks at the moment. My aim is in the next two years to get it to about 110. Do you like fencing? Um, no, love. I, I don't mind fencing, <laughs> but um, yeah, all the big ones, like the single wires are so easy to do when you're splitting a paddock in half. The, the bigger ones, like when we're fencing out waterways, we'll probably do half and get the contractor to do half and try and make it most efficient it's more of a time thing for us we don't have a huge amount of time to for fencing we've always got something on the go so 
it would be nice to do it all, but it's just not achievable um, with limited staff, you know. When I look at all of the things that you're doing to pull all of this together, like to achieve those goals, there's there's kind of a few different areas and I want to talk about all of them. So natural sequence farming, grazing management, multi-species, bioferts, you've got a toe and fert, worm products, compost, uh, extracts, you're doing soil and tissue testing and you're part of the no-till board. Yeah. So I can see there's lots of different things you're pulling together here to achieve those goals. So let's start talking about them. Uh, well, no, my first question is, it's nearly like there's a list here, but what have you done it in the sequence you wanted it to? And what would you recommend would be the right sequence to do all of these? That's a great question. Um, I feel like I probably haven't focused enough on splitting up paddocks. I have started definitely, but I probably should have put more emphasis on that at the start and really built that up early. Um, and then everything else will flow on from there. Um, so wire and water, um, which is my next big thing. I, I get sort of a bit nerdy about the soil. So I get so focused on making bioferts and so much more exciting than fencing, but realistically as a tool, I should have definitely, yeah, I'd start with that. And then um, to really help speed the process along, then you bring the biology and your bioferts and all that stuff, like just to, um, yeah, it'll speed the process up for yeah. sure. So yeah. number one, grazing management. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Did you do an RCS course quite early on? Yeah, so I did that in uh, February of 2022, but I'd done a um, holistic grazing course with Graham Hand and Colin Sice in 2017. Yeah. Um, and that's really what got me hooked in this. Yeah, I um, went from, yeah, very much conventional to this does not make sense. And now this new way of farming is just common sense. It's, yeah, yeah full circle, just, yeah, unreal, yeah. Um, and RCS helped you a lot with uh, when to sell, what to sell, how to get your carving times yeah, together. Yeah, the, the carving times... The selling um, is flexible. Um, I, it has to be flexible if you're going to do this because you've got to make sure you're carrying like your, your stocking rate to your carrying capacity. So um, definitely you can't be fixed on when you're going to sell. You've got to have a, a cull mob or even if they're in the same mob, have a, a first, second, third sort of cull list ready to go if you need to. Um, you can do that by fetal aging you. Um, when you're preg testing or just cows you don't like for a specific reason, like it'd either be structural or a little bit crazy or, um, yeah, that's probably, yeah, flexibility with that. But the, the RCS did teach that too. So um, Was it the seven-day course you did with them? Yeah, that. And then I had Nick Kentish come out and do a, a few days consulting with me and we, we sort of worked out a few different paddock plans and, worked out that um, optimum time of carving and he was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, great guy. Um, got a lot of time for him in the low stress stock handling course I did with him as well. He's, yeah, very much an inspiration to me. Yeah, yeah. 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 And what about KLR marketing? Do you think you've got enough knowledge now or do you, is that an I have, interest? I have done KLR. Oh, you have as well? <laughs> so I try and apply those principles as much as I can. Um, 
So they kind of go together. They, RCS, they definitely low stress, do. Low stress, All stop three, handling, yeah. And I think if you're missing one, you're probably missing out on a bit of the market or or doing yourself an injustice nearly. Um, the KLR, I've, I've put it in a little bit of a practice here. I've, I've used it more at home um, to go, is it actually worth carrying these through or do we, um, is it worth just selling? Um, and last year was a prime example of where we should have been selling and not keeping to go to the butcher shop. But then if you lose that butcher shop job, then you don't have it this year where it's actually in front. So yeah, you had to sort of take a bit of a hit the last couple of years to make the profit in the, the worst years. Um, hopefully if we can market our beef a bit better as a regenerative actual beef, people, hopefully there will be a demand. You can't force products down people's throat. They've got to want it, but yeah, that would be a, a goal in that in that business for sure. Well, the world is changing, you know. I mean, 2050, we're going to be supposedly carbon neutral. Like you think about the future of our kids, it's going to look very different. Very different, isn't yeah. It? And 2030, like, will come around quick enough. Yeah. And that's the first set yeah. of changes. So I think um, anyone that's sort of not thinking about it is going to get left behind. Yeah. Um, and it'll, it'll be here, like, blink of an eye mm, i absolutely agree with you all right so grazing management you think number one yep. and you did those three courses yeah uh out of your suite of things that you do what did what would you have done next in an ideal world and did you do that uh natural sequence farming i would probably do i think the number one course i do if you're running stock uh low stress stock handling ah that's number one yeah i reckon just the way the consumer is um, and, and heading and, and for the stock itself, just I really rate that um, and I think there's not enough of it. Um, I really, yeah, that's really important. And our, our stock, are, like you, you can't pat them, but geez, they're quiet because of it. And like you spend that time, they're a bit flighty, you spend a bit extra time with them and you can work them with them. It's safer for everyone. They put on more weight, like it's science, like it is actually in front of your eyes. Our weaning, like we gained 1.2 kilos a day in weaning last year just because of this LSS stuff. Like right. the year before, we lost weight. So so give us a snippet of what a strategy in low-stress stock handling is that you might use every time you have the stock. What, what's the main thing? Pretty much the opposite to what you are used to doing. Okay. <laughs> so um, pressure on, pressure off and really... Um, Observing the flight zone of the animal is super important, like to get them to move. And when you've got too much pressure, they'll often go the wrong way and then you'll get angry. And then you'll be angry at the stock, so things get worse. So I feel like if you just take a chill out, like just relax, take a deep breath, turn around, whatever you're gonna do, walk away and come back again. Um, yeah, it makes a huge difference. If, you, if you've got a bit of like built up anger, the cattle are gonna feel it. Like, yep definitely yeah well wow. the sheep yeah that's yeah could you use that in like could you transfer that into people as well like oh definitely yeah. yeah positive attitude with people and communication and yeah you know being clear and that definitely i'm probably not i'm probably better with stock than i'm with people but i i'd like to yeah, practice yeah <laughs> Um, yeah, Dad sort of started calling me the cow whisperer just to try and um, wind me up a bit, I think. <laughs> well, we call Darren the worm whisperer. Oh, perfect. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he hurts worms. Um, all right, so 
Number one was low stress stock handling. Yeah, then, then the grazing. Grazing. And, and then the and then natural sequence. Natural sequence farming. Grazing before KLR. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think those three do need to go together, but the KLR for profit, definitely. But if you if you're talking profit, yeah, definitely. But the natural sequence for your landscape, yeah. That that's got to be in the top three, I reckon. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I did when we were just out on that paddock. I was like, it's softer here, and you went, yeah, look where the contour is. That's yeah where we're directing the water. Yeah, yeah, so it's coming through the profile yeah. rather than, yeah, it's just gone over the top of it. Yeah. And is... do you think because you're in such hilly country and you've got these creeks, it's it's really important for this land? Yeah, try and keep it mm. where because it, it's just a drainage system otherwise. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and it, we've got it, some creeks that are six metres deep, like, you know, that are just washed out that much. Just The creek's only this, you know, a foot at the bottom um, and... Yeah, like they're six metres from erosion. So, yeah. you know, imagine the water would have been up in that profile for the plants to get. And now, you know, you're not going to get a plant to go through that because yeah. there's all sorts of barriers in the way. Yeah. How, yeah, how many, I don't know. A snippet other than contours, what other things is, are you doing from learning the natural sequence farming? Um, I wasn't, I'm not really focused on weeds, but, you know, let all plants grow is quite extreme but if you focus on the weeds you're going to grow more um prime example like at home like i remember being picked up by the helicopter that was spraying taken around the farm and then being dropped off to school by it because you know it was cool like it was obviously fuel was cheap back in the 90s and you can do that but um we've been spraying with the helicopter there for patterson's girls for 20 plus years that it has made a little difference, but there's still paddo there. They keep coming back. It keeps coming yeah. back. It hasn't fixed the problem. Um, and that, how much money we've wasted on that, I don't know. So we, I did a trial in 2018 with one kilo of copper um, per hectare from just in the boom spray or boomless nozzle, I think it was. I put a little bit of biology out. I, I didn't really think about it too much. Probably did a bit of harm, but I mean, we'll see. Uh, it, it seemed to work. Our paddo went from probably 100 plants to one per hectare. So I feel like if, if you actually look at the plant and what it's trying to tell you, um, there is a story there. There's probably a deficiency of something yeah. or you can replace it with something more desirable. Yeah, yeah. And that's its job. It's bringing it up. Correct. And yeah, making it plant depositing available. Depositing it. Yeah. Yeah, back on the top and making it plant available. Yeah, yeah. okay. Um. So that was natural sequence farming. Okay, it was the contours, um, letting all weeds grow. Yeah, leaky weirs. So um, just trying to slow that water flow down in the creeks, not not dam it by any means, but um, just try and slow it down and let it seep through rather than rush through. Um, we've, we put a leaky weir in with Stuart. Uh, Stuart Andrews came um, for a week here. I was very lucky to actually having one-on-one for three days before they held the course here. So we actually had some stuff for them to look at. Um, and the creek was flowing or like a, it's not really a creek, it's like a little stream. Before we started, it was flowing and then we put the weir in and then we went down to the same spot and it's still flowing. So there's still obviously water going under it and through it. And then there's also water out of that then spreading out onto the ridges. Um, 
which is pretty cool. So you're actually not just putting it down the stream into the neighbours, you're actually distributing it on your farm and then it'll end up back in that creek anyway. But it just takes a lot longer to get there. So your plants will gain from it. Yeah, so it's seeping out. Seeping out, yeah. yeah. And then it's spilling on the ridges and then, yeah. yeah. Yeah, okay. So very much how you manage the land first. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. okay. And then you get to that point, what would be the next step? Um, then your biology and yeah, your minerals. And probably both together, I feel um, you've got to, you can't do anything, just one or the other. It's sort of got to be a bit of both or you've got to build a house for them to live in. So it might be a little bit of minerals and then a little bit of biology or vice versa depending on you know what you're trying to achieve and what your soil type is but um yeah i think little bits of everything is better than lots of one thing and plants as well yeah definitely yeah, yeah. okay yeah all right so when we talk about when you talk about biology and minerals are, are you talking multi-species and biofertilized together or yeah so we sowed um 250 hectares of multi-species crops this year um all from down under covers um, and then we put soil, compost extract and a little bit of seed start from NTS um, on it and a little bit of fish um, and that with a, a 50 to 80 kilos of guano down the boot um, and then as soon as it's up and I can get a foliar on it I will put a biofert that I've made on farm with some compost extracts and fish and some molasses, a bit of neutral soil again, um, just to try and keep those bricks up and keep the plant as healthy as I can. Um, so any sign of insect damage or um, fungi attack or anything, I'll just try and get some nutrition out there, just a biofert with, always, I always use fish, molasses, the compost extract as a base, and I just vary the rates depending on you know how much I've got or um, how much I need it to go for the budget more than anything. Um, and then, um, yeah, you buy for it to go with it for the actual mineral. So what the plant needs, just a multi-mineral, like nothing specific at the moment. I, that's sort of this year's or well, the next 12 months project is to really tailor those biofirts for the plant, what we actually need. Yeah. So you're putting those on multi-species. You're coating the seed first with your biological primer and then your multi-species doing the foliar. Are you doing it across your other natives as well that are already existing? Yeah, so we're doing, um, we haven't put any biofat out on any of the natives, but we've put a fair bit of compost extract, a little bit of Nutrisoil, a bit of fish and molasses. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this year will be, yeah, more biofat and a little bit less of the others. So we'll probably cut them in half and then, put some more minerals out just to try and speed up that, you know, like the calcium function and the sulfur deficiencies and stuff like that. Yeah. So tell us about your biofits. Um, where did you learn to make them first? Um, and just essentially, you know, the time involved, what drives you to make them and not buy them? Those yep. type, yeah. Um, like getting all the seed from Grant Sims, um was really inspirational like he's an inspiring guy and seeing like what he's done and how he's achieved it and then going to see Pato's place up in um, Mara and what he's doing um that that sort of really inspired me to to make it then um Vic Notil had a 
a little workshop last year, just a really basic one at Fraser Pogue's place. And um, I, was, I was keen on doing it and that sort of really kicked me into gear. So I just started um, after that. And I did a course with David Hardwick, uh, Solar Land Food, and then I've done a second one with him online, um, just a basic one. Next step is probably like the microscope and actually understanding what microbes you're um, brewing and are they lasting to the end or are they all dying or which ones and which ones are, do we want and which ones don't we want. So. Um, yeah, someone needs to have a, a bit more advanced biofert course. Everyone's sort of itching for it, but um, no one, no one's holding one yet, I don't think. Yeah, so you, the biofert courses at the moment are how to make it, but what your thirst is now is the, is, the is, tech, it actually, is it actually what I thought I was making? Yeah, exactly. There's no quality control with yeah, it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I can put a whole heap of things into a drum and hope for the best. Yeah. Um, you know, it off gases and does all the right things, but. To be able to see it at the end would be, yeah, be nice yeah. to actually know what you're looking for. And, and, and I can see why that course is hard to put together. Yeah, definitely. Because I'm working with David at the moment in quality assurance and we're getting DNA testing on all of, you know, the Nutrisol and the extract and the worm castings and he's getting it all in the bioverts and, you know, we spent a whole day on it and then all of a sudden he just goes, but you know it's only 30%. Like... And I was totally deflated. <laughs> and I, he's like, you just, it is the best of the testing that we can get. At the moment. Yeah. At the moment, yeah. yeah. So um, it would be putting that together, plus it would be putting together uh, your tissue, sap test, soil tests while you're applying, seeing what works. Like it's a huge mammoth job Massive. to put together. Yeah. Someone needs to do it. Yeah. It's not me it's, and I don't know if David's a, got time. It's a big job. Vic No Till. I've got yeah. my eye on Vic yeah. No Till. You, you guys all yeah. need to collaborate. Yeah. There's you enough information. I know. For all of the tissue and SAT tests that you guys have, uh, I, I've got my eye on you guys for doing that. Right. Yeah. I'll put, I'll put that, <laughs> I so, I'll put that, that at the next group meeting. Vic No Till, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that would be amazing, wouldn't it? Yeah. 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 But at the end of the day, it is what happens, you know, do you grow bigger root systems? Yes. Do you grow bigger biomass? Yeah. Are you changing your soil? Are you building your carbon? Are you building your organic matter? Yeah. 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 The biofert definitely lifted us like in bricks um, from not using it to using it between six and eight points on the refractometer. So um, that was a pretty good indicator for me that it's doing something right and I've obviously brewed it right and um, it has worked um, and that was just ba David's basic um, multi-mineral pea recipe I think um, we've done a mainly his basic just multi-mineral recipes at the moment we've done 12,000 litres this year um, we'll do yeah hopefully try and do some more individual stuff in the following so if you think you had to go and buy 12,000 litres of a trace mineral nutrient mix like the savings must be pretty big yeah even with labor i think we're probably still well under half probably a third like i've worked it out and like the the cost of making it isn't that great really like it's it's a little bit time consuming but if if it's a bit too hot or something one day it's a great job to do in the shed in the shade um yeah. And it's nice to have different things to do. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's fun. Like, yeah. It's a bit messy at times, but, you know, it's always, <laughs> it's always a bit of fun. You've got a bit of molasses up there we <laughs> yeah. had an accident with before you exactly. had to clean up. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, molasses is always the biggest problem. (laughs) So what type of um, amounts are you putting in these biofets compared to what you would have been putting out if it was a um, soil mineral application? So uh, we're putting out 10 litres of the biofert per hectare, which has got, um, you got 25 kilos of phosphorus in a um, thousand litres. So I was meant to do the maths on that. 25, so I'm not going to do it accurately. So 25 kilos in a thousand litres and you're only putting out 10 litres per hectare. So not even a spreader puts out 25 because you go to 30 kilos. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. it, it's tiny. Yeah, it is tiny amount. Yeah. 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 Um, and that's just the phosphorus. And the, the trace elements are tiny and minute amounts, really. Um, so, But as a granular, like, you know, the typical is 100 kilos at least, you know. Yeah. You know, if you're in conventional, yeah. more is better. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Okay, so if someone wanted to learn about these bioferments, where would they go? Uh, I'd go on to David Hardwick's website, Soil Land Food, and look up his course. It's very, um, he's, he's a pretty good teacher, really. He's very, um, pretty, like, basic, for your basic course, it's perfect. Like, yeah, just to get your basic principles and systems right is probably the most important thing, like your cleanliness and your actual system of doing it is, what he pushes and I think that's probably definitely the most um, important thing. Yeah. Do you want that BioFert Facebook page? Yeah, yeah. yeah that's yeah. got lots that's of stuff. super interesting. Yeah. 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 There's yeah. always, so there's always a, a new recipe on there that I try and mimic. Yeah. 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 So there is lots of stuff out there but it's not something you can sit down and go, well, yeah, I, th- I think it's a, a building process. Definitely. And then you get more comfortable with it and then you can get a bit more creative with it. You just got to take one step at a time. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So just start step, with a basic. Get a course. A, go to a, a course. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. okay. you can read the book but then when you see, you know, having to put, this I'm going to I'm gonna really bait the straw in the bottle so that it yeah. picks out the pathogens and the yeah. bubbling and, mm-hmm. yeah. Exactly. You kind of need to see it you do. yourself. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. 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 Okay, I feel like we're building a really, like we could write a book here now. We've got all the steps, <laughs> Callum Lawson's steps to regenerative <laughs> agriculture. Um, so multi-species, that, that kind of blurs into soil health, doesn't it? Yeah. You would have learned about that in general, like conferences. And, yeah, definitely, yeah. yeah. Um, through Grant and Vic Notil and um, podcasts, like, yeah, I'm a real sucker for a podcast. So, um, yeah, yeah, I've learned a hell of a lot. Um, listening to yours and Graham Sates and John Kemp, like it's full on. But I mean, there's so much information out there. Um, it's easy access. It's it's hard to retain it all. Sometimes you can listen to it five times, but but it sparks, doesn't it? Does, it? Yeah. And there'll be something you'll just even if you took away one thing from one of those John Kemp podcasts, yeah, you can't take away everything. No way. <laughs> yeah, no chance. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So so John Kemp's very technical. Kemp, Graham's sake can be. Can be very as well. technical. Yeah. Um, but I think the podcast I do is very much farmer stories and the hands on. So you've you've got three different angles. Yeah, definitely. And so I think they're all important too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, And I think RCS have have got a podcast going oh, as well. Yeah, actually, yeah. I did hear that one about. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So they're good. They're really great. Um. So the multi species, you know, like. 
10 years ago, they were so incomprehensible, weren't they? The multi species. Yeah. You were like, what? Ryegrass and doing? clover. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You might put a brassica in there if you're, yeah. a bit, if you're a bit out there. Yeah. 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 But it's very common, very common now. I mean, it's just to have, it was very common to have two or three. Yeah. Yeah. But this suite of larger yeah, yeah. amounts. Yeah. And learning, like, just from experience, um, more at the start isn't always better. So you've got to build the system. Um, so you, you start basic like five to ten and then go up after that, like earn that right, just a st one step in front of the other. Yeah. Um, yeah, simple to start and then just slowly build it up. Like you can go to the super mix straight away and half of it comes up. So you've wasted yeah. half the money. Like you could have grown just as much a crop and, you know, a, fair bit less yeah. just with a basic one yeah and you'll you've got to learn what your own soil is good at growing too yeah, yeah. oh absolutely i mean i've seen you know clover crops just overseen with oats and the change is huge massive you know? yeah and then you go the next one the next one yeah it's just building yeah it? yeah 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 okay so um multi-species crops biofurts um, and then you go your worm products and your compost products tell me um why why, how, what you do there? So we've got um, just a stainless steel milk vat um, and it's got a uh, just a agitator on the top. Um, we put about 100 kilos in um, to 1,000 litres of water uh, and then that goes out at... 100 kilos of the compost? 100 kilos. So we go um, 60 of the Nutrisoil castings. castings. Not the liquid, yeah. And then the um, the Wirelad, we use their um, refined compost out of a Volker bag as well, um, 40 kilos of that. And then that goes out as a compost extract at 5 kilos a hectare equivalent. Yeah, okay. So it's not your total water source. You're putting it no, in water. I'm, I'm as... just trying to get it mobile yep. and, and the biology off it and then I put it out accordingly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, okay, all right. Uh, so you're mixing the biofurts with the worm liquid and the extracts. Yeah. Yeah. And then fish, nutrisoil and molasses on top. Yeah. 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 We had a bit of fun today yeah. with the worm castings. So um, we've got the worm castings now to three mil for the tongfurt. We'll talk about, you've got a tongfurt, yeah. which is amazing, and we'll talk about the tongfurt. But um, the castings were getting blocked at 10 mil uh, yeah so definitely it's good that we've got it yeah. now down to yeah. the three mil i did try that a few times and blocked it a fair yeah. few times yeah yeah that's i i didn't even have it on the website i knew we had an issue that the castings weren't great for extracts um but now that we've got it to three mil we'll we'll let people know about it they're amazing yeah like just seeing yeah. that just then like the dispersion of them on the leaf on, on that the was the tiny, exciting thing tiniest little yeah. linseed and clover leaves yep. like those yeah. little worm casts were just sitting on the leaf, sticking there, and you think the microbial factory that's just around those castings. So I'm so keen to see someone with red-legged earth mite. Um, hopefully you get red-legged earth mite. And <laughs> hopefully we, can we, put, do. we can put do a these, trial, um, this extract out, and I really think it's going to have yeah, definitely, an yeah, amazing... Most definitely. Yeah, just to see it sitting on that leaf. Um, was pretty amazing to get it out. But the toe and furt is a pretty special machine to do that. Yeah, they've got the market. There's no other product really out there um, that low pressure so it doesn't harm the biology. It's a nice big 
trash pump so you can handle that bigger particle like you could handle up to a five mil particle and keep it in suspension and and put nearly anything through it um yeah, very, very powerful tool. Yeah. And this was my question um, when I came and I thought I thought I knew what you were going to say and you did say it, but with the toe and furred, I mean, the ease of that is that you can put anything in. So you yeah. can actually put your copper sulfate yeah. and your boron and your zinc in exactly. and go out and, 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 and apply it. it. But yeah. you're biofermenting it first. Why are you doing that? Uh, well, the uh, cost is probably the biggest thing that, um, but when you bioferment uh, a raw mineral like that, you're putting it, uh, attaching it to a carbon molecule, so it's more plant available. So it, the plant doesn't have to work for it; it just gets it, and it's it's in there rather than it having to go through three processes to get it. So therefore, um, you know, it's it's a more efficient way of putting it out. I see. Um, I, there's no science behind that, but just um, what what I've learned that's that's yeah definitely well I think there is like you could convert you know if you do something as a follicular fertilizer for example urea yeah it is 10 times more, more powerful yeah. there's science behind yeah, that yeah that, that is definitely yeah true. so I yeah. imagine yeah. all of the trace minerals and nutrients would be very similar if you get it very much so fine biofermented so broken down with microbes with your carbon source yeah, yeah, and you're putting out microbes with it as well. So, you know, it's also, there's beneficials there as well as yeah. the mineral. Yeah. yeah, yep. And then you would be comparing, instead of putting out two kilos per hectare as a, a mineral, you're yeah. probably putting out like 60 grams. Grams, yeah. grams, yeah. yeah. Grams. It's yeah, crazy. Yeah. yeah, and just the same results and probably even more more quick like the results would be more um, quick to respond yeah. definitely yeah. yeah yeah in the plant and that's where you need it like because that's where your money is like yep. it will feed down into the soil but the plant is what you whether it be grain or for the cows or the sheep like that is where the money's at so if the plant's healthier then it's dollars in your pocket yeah yeah absolutely and building more of that organic matter absolutely which is your goal yeah okay um the extracts is what we just talked about then. So how do you actually make the extract? You just bubble it. So just we, we just stir it and yeah. then it runs through a trash pump just at idle, um, trying to filter out the um, large particles. And then uh, it goes into the tunnel for it. So it, it, it's agitated for at least two hours. I found anything less than that. You don't get enough biology off it. and The colour changes. Yeah. Um, like an hour is sort of a bit murky and after like two hours it's like a golden brown yeah, yeah um, I just found the better results with that yeah um, and you're not throwing half of it out because there's a lot more come off the, all up yeah. in suspension yeah 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 okay um, and then you can you've put all these together in your toe and furt so you've got your bio fertilizers and the mix that you talked about fish extract and molasses. And molasses. Yeah. Um, you've got your worm liquid. Uh, you can basically look at a tissue test and then go and out and... And make it. Yeah. yeah. That, that's, so that's the this flexibility. Next yeah. Yeah. Because um, it's often over-application of nutrients is the bigger problem. It'll lock something than, else up. Yeah, yeah. under. Mm -hmm. 
Um, it's a very efficient way of farming. It sounds time consuming. It, yeah, it can be, but at the same time, it's making yourself more efficient. And, yeah. And growing a healthier plant means more money. Yeah. Yeah, more carbon. Yeah. 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 Okay. And then my next step is you joined. I know you've been with Vic No Till for a long time because I see you there at all of the events, but now you're on the committee. Yeah, so an opportunity came up a few months ago. They advertised um, they wanted a couple of new board mem members and I always sort of thought, gee, that would be a pretty cool thing to do, um, seeing all those guys and what they've achieved and how they're growing like some of the best crops probably in the world. Like, um, like that would be pretty cool to be part of. So I thought, why not have a go at it? And um, Yeah, I was very lucky and feel very privileged to be part of that and working alongside those guys and learning off them and hopefully I can contribute something back towards them as well. But, um, well, you're going to be writing this book on, <laughs> yeah. on biofets and, and, and sap and tissue testing, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I think I'll, I'll need a bit of help with that. Yeah, I'm sure we can get something going. Yeah, sure. but Vic No-Till, they have so much... So much knowledge in all those farmers and, yeah. and you, you don't even see half of it, but yeah. they're so willing to share and... Um, welcome you onto their place and like ask any question and they'll they'll answer it and it'll be an honest answer it won't be some sales pitch on no. it like it's no. it's all like they've learned the hard way and they're doing it yeah. to be profitable which yeah. yeah at the end that that is the end game really yeah you know you can't keep going if, you, if you're not profitable no no not at all you've got to stay profitable otherwise these good farmers won't be out there doing they're doing um what about uh have you been able to eliminate pesticide or even if you were using it or herbicide use yeah so initially when i sort of came back to the farm in 2012 we started experimenting with a few different crops of brassicas and um, legumes and um, we had a fair bit of red leg and earth mite pressure and then aphid pressure and um cabbage moths and you name it we sort of got it and then we were getting diseases and everyone's answer was always to go the insecticide and while you're doing it you may as well put a fungicide in and I ne it never sat well with me um anything like that mum sort of brought us up pretty well that clean food was good so that's been sort of stuck with me for life um and anytime I even suggested it, mum and dad would both look at me like, what are you doing? Like, why would you even think about that? And then that really made me second guess it again rather than just listening to a sales rep or an agronomist saying, you have to do this, otherwise you're going to lose the crop. So I did it a couple of times and it just didn't work for me. So I just cut it out altogether. And then when I did a bit more reading and research, um, just putting fish, molasses, compost extract and Nutrisoil out one day, changing the bricks from 6 to 14 overnight and the insects were gone. I'm like, well, that sold me like that was it. Yeah, yeah. so you can deal with this working with nature as opposed to... Absolutely, and I feel like you can probably get it up even higher if you used the biofert or the mineral that it was deficient in. Like That rules a fungicide or an insecticide out altogether. I just, yeah, that's... Yeah pretty powerful tool yeah absolutely and it's doing good yeah. rather than bad yeah yeah so in the future with your tissue tests or if you are using sap tests do you see how do you see that you're going to make these decisions is it going to be 
do the test, then go out there, or do you feel like you're going to make some type of database of your own? Yeah, so it'll have to go onto a spreadsheet, um, and we'll have to have all the minerals made up pretty well ready to go because you can't just brew it. Like, you can collate them, but, yeah, you've got to brew them early and while it's warm, otherwise the bugs don't work. So that's going to be a big summer job, so you have it all there ready to go. Do your sap test and go, right, I'm deficient in this. Let's put it out and then, you know, that goes on this year's record and then you do it again once you've done it and see if it's actually moved it. Yeah, and do you think on that record you're going to then have a space? Yeah, has it? So you'll have your deficiency, what you put out, and then did it work? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Mm. And then every every one of those is a big powerful tool for the next year or or even later in the season. You'd um, nearly have yeah. to also say how much rainfall you'd had mm-hmm. um, yeah. and the time of year it Which was. Which we've got like yeah. a rolling rainfall and AgriWeb does a rolling rainfall for us. So Yeah. 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 It's not a hard job, Callum. You can no. get that done. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. Yeah. <laughs> I, I might need someone to talk about it. Coordinating it all, yeah. isn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I see that's where this is all going. What about seeds? Are you putting seeds out through the Tolan Furt? Yeah, we've done a little bit, not so much um, at Avenal, but we have put a few turnips and, and brassicas and... Um, some clover out and that has had pretty good success like I wouldn't say it's um every seeds germinated straight away but later in the season you 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 do see um you do see them coming up so um yeah or the next rain or not straight away but yeah it does they do pop up so as you improve that soil those seeds are still going exactly they're just sitting there dormant there. Yeah. yeah they're often going out in a in a um, compost extract so they've got all the biology there just to sit there until that moment is correct and then up they go and the seed i've heard this um before is that the seed is actually biology because there's so many microbes in the that seed as well sense, yeah so even if it's not germinating you're actually putting out a little ball of biology as well yeah 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 so if it's low cost yeah you wouldn't get too upset if it didn't germinate no exactly yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. an organic matter be building your organic matter yeah Food for the microbes, yeah, yeah, okay. That all helps. It does. Yeah. Um, all right, so I think what we've done here is we've just gone through the steps of how you actually get to the point of, of regenerating a soil. What I haven't asked, so you've, you've done your multi-species mixes. Are you going to continue doing those in this regenerate, tr- trying to get to your goal of increasing organic matter and carbon? Um, or is there a, a process where you you'll do some renovation, move to the next paddock. How, how are you going to manage that? So I'm sort of working on a three-year cycle at the moment and that could extend to five, but um, the initial two to three years is a, a priming phase. So we'll just put out annuals for the first two. And if we can double crop it, if there's an opportunity, we will. So if we can do some C4s like summer grasses and sunflowers and a summer mix. Um, if we can get at least one of those in is, is a real benefit, even if they don't do massively well, like a green plant in summer is is going to help prime something. Um, so the multi-species are a tool to prime the soil and get it ready for the perennials. So the third year we'll start introducing chicory and plantain and probably loosen and then um, 
the next year we'll oversow some grasses as well as a bit more clover and um, yeah, some legumes. Yeah, just keep priming it until we sort of, yeah, I'd like to say five years is max, but you're always probably going to be topping it up every so often if you need to, or hopefully um, the native stuff will come through and um, yeah, quorum sensing will take over and yeah, yeah the, the good stuff will start coming on its own. Observation and, and take it as it comes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, each paddock's going to be different. And yeah. Yeah, it's managed similarly, but not all identically. So yeah. everything's different. Yeah. Yeah. And then you talked also, um, it was probably when we were talking a bit earlier, you wanted to increase your nitrogen, which increasing your organic matter would, but also your legume content. Yeah, legume content. Yeah, so definitely trying to increase that clover and even sowing some peas and vetch into some maybe um, established pasture dry and just trying to get some extra nitrogen into, and that will help build the organic matter as well. So. That'd be, uh, yeah, I had that suggested to me the other day. I think that's a very wise idea. Yeah. We'll give it a go in yeah. early next year. Carbon project, is that in the future or? Um, potentially. Um, we'll just have to wait and see. Um, I think there is definitely a spot for it and I think we're going the right way about it. I'd love to just get a baseline even if we didn't get go with the project because um, I feel like you know, we're going in the right direction. Um, yeah, I, that's a hard one. Yeah. yeah, it's a it's a very sort of touchy space, and and the government's got well too involved and made it a lot more challenging than it needs to be. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just watch that space. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we need to go out and test that bricks. We do. Yes. So it was twelve on the oat plant. Yes. Twelve and. No, it was 14. Yeah, 14. It was 14, 14 on the oats. And it was hazy, so was you hazy. had good mineral. Calcium, movement yeah um even even um when it was so dry out there so let's go see if that application of biofert um what did we put in there we put your new three mil castings three mil castings some molasses, molasses nutrisoil and some fish and some fish yep. yeah yeah yep. okay all right well thank you very much callum no worries. Thank this you was much. this was a great i think it just gives some really good steps of where to first when someone wonders how am I going to regenerate this land um, and it there are just easy steps uh, it, and it's the courses I think yeah definitely you could you could just do this suite of courses that we talked about but just take get into the community of people yeah, yeah, that you need yeah. to the right attitude and yeah yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely the right difference. attitude you've got to get you've got to surround yourself with people that uh, similar thinking because if you surround yourself with people the same thinking you're just going to go back there yeah. I found like and I've still got friends that are very conventional but I think it's really important to try and surround yourself with that positive attitude and people doing the similar thing to you it's easier to talk about and it's probably yeah one of the most powerful things you can do for yourself I think. yeah yeah you even spoke earlier about uh, you love people to challenge you yeah I love I love a challenge yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So having people that might think differently is important as well. Absolutely, because yeah. it makes me think differently. Too. Yeah. Yeah, super yeah. important. Mm. Yeah. Wonderful. Okay. Well, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I hope other people do too. Hopefully, And yeah. let's go check this brick. Great. Thank yeah. you. All right. Please follow the 
Farming Roundtable podcast. Share it with your friends and networks. I'm Nicola Maddock and I work at Nutrisoil, a liquid biological fertiliser made from a big worm farm whose purpose is to empower farmers to produce life in the